Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, Becky. Hey, John. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today. You know, we talk a ton about the power of lived experience and how that translates through founder stories or maybe, you know, how you channel your passion into how you show up at a nonprofit mission. But today we are talking to one of the foremost experts in this space that is curating experiences for young professionals and is really guiding people to finding their calling, finding their purpose, connecting that with their why and creating incredible lived experiences as well. And so it's my huge honor to welcome Abby Fallick to the podcast. She is the founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year. And as we've learned more about Abby's story, I mean, there's so much here, value alignment and so much that she does that we need to pull into our sector as we think about growing the next generation of leaders and the leaders that are here, because she says that it's not ideas that change the world. It's leaders that change the world. And so Abby has this incredible life where she has been an award-winning social entrepreneur and she has leaned into just some incredible places where she plugs in through her thought leadership and her volunteerism. But today we are going to just kind of immerse ourselves and go on our own little global citizen year here on the podcast. And we're just delighted to have you here, Abby. Thank you and welcome to the show. Becky and John, I've really been looking forward to this. So thank you for such a warm welcome. Well, it is such an honor. And we just want to get to know you. You know, what stirred in your heart? What is kind of your journey from being little Abby growing up to wanting to bring other people along on this incredible journey to be part of something like this? Well, it's sweet that you asked because I happen to be working from my parents' house today. So I am in my childhood bedroom. They call it the room formerly known as Abby's. No, yes, room. But it um, it is a quicker emotional tie then to to your question Indeed. of sort of where I was growing up. So I grew up in Berkeley, California. I had parents who valued travel as the highest form of learning, and they were very committed to making sure that me and my two younger siblings had experiences outside of our comfort zone and outside of the U.S. when we were growing up. And in hindsight, those were the most formative experiences of my early life. They helped me see my privilege, the randomness of the birth lottery I had won by virtue of where and when I'd been born and the access to a terrific education that I was going to have. And I have a mentor that talks about a social justice nerve that we all have. And once you're aware of it, you can't ignore it. And I do think of my childhood and early experiences as having been a very deliberate set of exposures that helped me leave my comfort own, see myself through others' eyes. Um, And in some way, from a very early age, I was really clear that there was no path beyond using my access and opportunity somehow for the greater good. Wow. I mean, so beautiful. And I just think 
we talk this often. You'd think that we're talking about nonprofit professionals. We're talking about what we learned or something in um, an adulthood, but so much of it goes back to how we grew up, whether that we're going to channel that or we're going to, you know, course correct some of those things. But I think seeing that and seeing the empathy that built at a young age absolutely has to be informing every part of how you're showing up today, which is really beautiful. And it just makes me think of like you and your family, John. He's got two sets of twins, all under the age of 10. And he and his wife are very passionate about the same thing. And I remember you taking, were were the littlest set two or three when you went to China and to Thailand. They've gone to Peru. They've gone to Costa Rica, getting ready to go to Portugal. And I just think there's something to what you're saying about being awake. And I like this word so much because when you're awake, you're aware and your empathy goggles are completely on. So we love so much what you all are doing over at um, Global Citizen Year. And I want to talk a little bit about this leadership crisis that you all are really starting to what I feel like is circumvent. So can you kind of paint a picture for our listeners about that current landscape of leadership and what's happening with this next generation of leaders? Because we are really leaned into that Mm -hmm. in this community because we believe that Gen X, Gen Alpha, they're hardwired to think differently, mm-hmm. to pour into causes differently. We want to know how you're attacking that and approaching mm-hmm. this issue. Our leaders are failing us. We live at a time of unprecedented interconnectedness, possibility, sort of resource generation, and yet inequality is wider than it's ever been. People feel disconnected. Our temperatures are rising and our climate crisis is not just around the bend, it's imminent. There is a way in which our leaders have not seen the whole picture and balanced all of the bottom lines that are essential. So we prioritize personal gain, short-term profit, visible success. We talk about the real good over the feel good at the expense of actually reorienting around what needs to be solved for, which is people, our planet, a shared sense of purpose. I think a lot about if I could wave a wand, I would have us all zoom out into space to see that overview effect that the astronauts describe, where we can actually see that we are just this little blue ball floating in eternal outer space. And to get that shift in perspective to see we are all on the same same team, we just don't realize it or act like it. And so instead we're fighting each other and we're maximizing and optimizing for the wrong things. And my sense is that what I'm here for is to lead a movement that inspires Gen Z, which is the most alert, idealistic, globally aware and interconnected generation in the course of human history. And how do we harness that idealism for real change? How do we help them understand that it's not just about running around and starting new nonprofits, because I actually think that's the opposite of what's needed in many ways, but instead about humbling themselves to understanding what are the root causes of the problems that need to be solved? What has been tried? How do I learn as a young person, as an apprentice to what already is in motion? And how do I take what works to where it's needed most? So at Global Citizen Year, we're on a mission to reinvent a life stage between high school and what comes next so that we can unleash a force of new leaders who value the things that matter most. Oh my gosh. Abby, here's the thing. 
as you're talking, I just know from my own personal journey, the power of what you're saying is when you leave the comfort of your home for the first time, I'm not saying go to some all-inclusive resort in a different country. I'm talking about when you go to a country and you realize that people are the same, like we're all humanity together, we're connectedness, and we have the same values at a lot of levels too, of family and purpose, and we're all looking for those things. Well, take us back. I mean, what was your first international experience that made you come alive to that you wanted others to have that in such a tangible way? Yeah, I, I love what you're saying, John, because I do think at the heart of our work and my certainly my worldviews, people are people are people. And as soon as we can see we are no bigger and no smaller than any other human, we can actually break through to figure out how we can work together in ways that are far more impactful and and effective. So um, my, you know, my experience was finishing high school and having been on that hamster wheel, I'd been on the treadmill, I'd checked the boxes, I'd been a good student, you know, I feel like my sense of purpose was given to me by others, uh, which was get into college, get into a good college. Yeah. And I finished high school and felt confused and exhausted and aware that there was learning that I valued that had nothing to do with what I was learning in a classroom. And I called the Peace Corps, actually sitting right here in my childhood bedroom. I remember oh looking gosh. through it was the yellow pages at the time, and I made oh that phone gosh. call. Oh, my gosh. You know, I tried to get as high up as I could to have this conversation, making the case for why me at 18 would somehow, you know, be ready for this experience. And clearly I wasn't. And, and they were right to say, you need a college degree to join the Peace Corps. But it felt very ironic that at that age, what was available to me was military service, religious service, but there was no pathway that was in the service and spirit of learning myself and doing something in in the service of humanity. And so it, I ended up going straight to school. There was so much inertia and the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And after two <laughs> years of feeling really stifled in lecture hall style learning, I took off. I took a year off school. And so John, you asked about an early formative global experience. For me, it was that year that I spent in Latin America. I was in Nicaragua and Brazil both. And I was on my own before smartphones and before Google Maps and Google Translate, right? I was having a, a very much in the real world trial and error experience of myself in a new context. And it was excruciatingly hard and disorienting, but taught me more than I ever could have learned in a classroom. And when I came back to finish college, suddenly I had confidence and clarity about what I wanted to use my education for. I knew who I was when I was outside of my comfort zone and the things that made me happy or the things that zapped my energy. I knew what questions I was trying to use my education to answer. And I felt like the experiences I had were as valuable as what I was learning at Stanford. And so I petitioned for it all to count for credit. And I got a year's worth of credit for that lived experience, which in many ways was an early sort of proof point that has played a role in what we've now built at Global Citizen Year, which is to say the things we give credit to, that the things we accredit are currently quite disconnected from the things that are most worthy of credit. And so how do we step back and say, we have conflated school and education and the two need to be approached separately. And at Global Citizen Year, we've got a blueprint for a new type of education. And we believe it's the kind of education that young people around the world need. Okay. We're going to unpack that. <laughs> and before we do, I just want to compliment you because you are a bit of a rare unicorn here because you 
absolutely listen to your nudges. You something felt off. And I commend your bravery and your chutzpah to just go for it and to dive in. And I have to tell you that as you were telling that story, your entire face and your carriage lit up. And I can see that the awakening that that gave you, that gave you your purpose. And I just think about how that juxtaposed with this organization story of getting these Gen Zers to wake up and to pour into that purpose so early. Because I have to tell you, I don't think I found my purpose until 39 or 40. And I think about if I would have had something like this when I was 19 or 20 or whenever that is, I think about how much my life would have changed and how my values would have aligned with my purpose. And so please talk about Global Citizen Year. Talk about your programs. Talk about your mission and how you're serving these leaders that are ages 17 to 21 globally with this incredible framework you've built. Becky, I so resonate with what you shared about, you know, having these experiences later on in life. And I I think we have a cultural template that still encourages young people to sort of scramble up the hill in the first stage of life. And then you ha- you're knocked off the mountaintop by some sort of midlife crisis. And then you are ready to put your purpose or your values first. And I think about how much effort and human capacity, creativity, and potential we're wasting by sending kids on that very thin scramble. I I am a huge believer that if we could have the equivalent of that midlife crisis in our 20s, that the world would change. That as soon as you're aware that there's a different mountain worth climbing, you get to it. You can't do anything else. And so what we're doing at Global Citizen Year is making it normal, accessible, encouraged, aspirational, that really high-achieving high school students from across the U.S. and now from around the world take a year to learn who they are and who they're becoming through real lived experience. We provide them with a curriculum, with a cohort of peers, kids like them who are idealistic and ambitious, determined, hopeful that the world can change. They're coached by professional mentors, and they have deep, immersive global experiences that shift their sense of possibility. And ultimately, it's really about figuring out who am I, what does the world need, and what's my role at the intersection of those two things. And our belief in nonprofit speak, it's our theory of change, is if that we can light young people up at that critical juncture, if we can shift their trajectory even by one degree from the origin, the younger we can make that change, the further from the starting point they end up. Um, and for us, it's critically important that we're casting a wider net than our you know, famous colleges and traditional modes of searching for, for, quote, leadership potential. We don't look at test scores or grades. We're looking at kids who've made something of where they've started, who've inspired their peers to follow them in some way, and who we believe have the raw material that we can work with to then help shape them so they can really shape themselves into the kind of leaders our world needs now. Unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm having a lot of like flashbacks to just growing up and kind of in that transition phase of trying to figure out what you want to do. And we put all this pressure that an 18 year old knows what they want their major to be for the rest mm-hmm. of their life. Right. And we even define, I think even the vernacular of how we talk about that as if you're choosing your 
sentence and said 18 for what you're going to do the rest of your life. This is flipping it fully on its head. And I want to lift a stat that kind of came through as we were kind of prepping for this, but it's that studies have shown that in the U.S., just 3% of students report having a transformative experience in college. Will you talk about that? Like, what do you define as transformative? But it seems shockingly low. And um, I know I'd love for you to address that and how y'all are leaning into that. Thank you for highlighting that. So I first read it. It was an op-ed in The Atlantic that the head of the college board had written. And he cited this statistic. I think the article was called, There's More to College Than Getting Into College. And I think we've put so much emphasis on this rat race to get in. But we have then essentially stepped back and been not remotely critical of what actually happens when you're there. And this survey showed that just 3% of young people reflected on their college experience as having been transformative. 3%. And this is the biggest investment in time and resources in a young person's life and development. So we should all be, this should be headline news as we think about what the future of a higher education needs to look like. There's a piece of that data that I found very interesting that showed, well, what was in common? among those three in a hundred students. What did they share? And it had nothing to do with where they went to college. It had everything to do with how they approached the experience. And it comes back to this theme, Becky, of awakeness. Students who have agency, who are in the driver's seat of their own learning, who know what questions they're trying to answer, who have the confidence to build relationships with mentors, who have the stick to to integrate in-class and out-of-class learning. Those are the students who come out the other side of a college experience having been transformed. And so our belief at Global Citizen Year is that if we can change the inputs into the higher education system, we have the best shot at actually changing the outcomes. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising, growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, are you ready to take your digital engagement to the next level, but kind of feel stuck about where to start? Let us introduce you to Feather. Feather is an amazing tech startup focused on making nonprofit outreach more impactful by connecting you to your audience, wherever they are online. From fundraising to program awareness, they've got you covered. And rather than tell you, we just wanted to show you. For years, the Humane Society of North Central Florida has participated in a local online giving day called The Amazing Give. It's a competitive landscape for donations. So in 2021, the Humane Society knew they needed to stand out in order to maximize donations. For $300 in ad spend, their retargeting ads brought 119 visitors to their Amazing Give donation page and generated nearly $6,000 in donations in just one day. With Feather, a small amount of ad spend can go a long way. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Now let's get back to this amazing conversation. 
I mean, Abby for president. I think about my little 11-year-old environmentalist here in the middle of Oklahoma, yeah. who's going to get caught up in all those test scores, who's going to be, you know, yeah. who's hardwired to just achieve, achieve, achieve. But she, if you, if we awoke her passion and we funneled it in a way that was so constructive and helpful and specific to her and what her gifts are, yeah. I just think about how ri- much more rich her life would be. So I just want to commend you for this just aspirational uh, program and, and, and mission that you're taking on. And I would love to just know a story, maybe of a program alumni or alumna that you could share with us of someone who's done this and done this well. Well, I'm thinking, um, I mean, there's so many, so we have 1500 alumni and they are from a hundred countries around the world. And some of them are now the age I was when I was first starting Global Citizen Year and they're, you know, they're 30, early 30s. And I'm thinking of a young woman from our very first class who grew up um, with a single father, single parent home raised by her dad. And there were five siblings in North Carolina. And she was just a go-getter from from the outset um, and was just driving hard to get into college because she knew that that was going to be her ticket to the life she wanted to build. And somehow she found Global Citizen Year in our very first year. And I remember calling her. It was I, I would still call to accept all of our students one by one. And the story she tells us that she was standing in a soccer field after a game and she took the phone and threw it up in the air because she was just so Aww. shocked. And her response to me was, you have made my life. And it was a really um, moment of commitment and a moment of sensing like this is much bigger than me. Um, And I also felt like, all right, hold on, we've not even done anything yet. So Ananda spent the year in Senegal um, working on a a local conservation project, living with a family, really becoming an integrated part of a community. And I can say this um, with deep knowing because about 10 years later, she and I returned to that community with film crew and and made a, a beautiful sort of reflective piece on the experience she'd had. Um, But the emphasis for us has always been on what can a young person learn about themselves? How can they be humbled and sort of encouraged to sit through layers of discomfort and preconception? So unlike a lot of travel programs for young people or volunteer, volunteerist or service programs, this is not about going out to change the world. Ananda would never say that there was something that she did that shook things up in that local community. She would say that was absolutely not her role or her place, but that her role was to learn as much as she could about a different way of living um, and about herself and to take those insights and that expansion of her own empathy and her own sense of her power in the world and to carry it into whatever she did next. And she's chased down startup jobs in Silicon Valley and is now developing new products with a view toward how they can be used in West Africa. Um, And it's all sort of this grounding in a humbling and a lived experience that I think has actually allowed her to be even more confident in aiming higher with how she wants to use her precious life. I think um, the way you express the philosophy kind of behind it is everything. And I think, you know, we don't want to, we're, this isn't the place that we're putting a bunch of people down, but talking about just what we can fight for a better way to show up. And I think what you've painted here is so true that it's not a posture of changing the world. It's a posture of I'm going to learn and I'm going to, you know, um, that's the experience, you know, and that's the expectation. I think that does change the way that you show up as a result of that. So 
And it's so related to the conversation we were having about leadership. So we believe that leadership is a practice and not a position. It is a constant self-reflection. It is a, a an, or an evolution toward letting go of what you think you know to learn what you need to learn next. It's showing up with curiosity before judgment. It's knowing that you have courage to do hard things and that you can align your life with your convictions. And these are the key nuggets. When we talk about a leadership crisis right now, it's because we have imagine somehow that leaders need to have more answers than questions and more certainty than doubt and more sort of clarity and assuredness than a willingness to learn and evolve. Um, And I think that's really what's led us astray. And so we're trying to get at the root cause of, of forging a different type of leader who approaches the world through the lens of empathy, humility, and curiosity. Well, we are over here cheering from the sidelines. And I just got to say, the way you view leadership is different than the mainstream, which is so refreshing and so good. And it's even the way that I see that y'all have approached your co-leadership of the organization. I want to go there because I think more organizations could follow you as a model. Um, We talk about about this approach that y'all have embraced at Global Citizen Year and kind of unpack it for us. Yeah. Well, so early days, I was doing everything. I wore all the hats and, um, you know, sort of command and control. And I didn't know any different or better. And I didn't have a team around me that I was really ready to delegate to. But I remember early coaching that I got that said, you know, Abby, your job is to spend as much time as you can doing the things only you can do. And you need to spend a week and track the things you're doing in a week and note the things that energize you and note the things that deplete you. And the things that energize you are a sweet spot that you need to lean into. These are the things that if you do more of them, they replenish you. And your job is to then gather up all the things that deplete you and find people who are so much better than you are at them and who get energy from them and to find (laughs) those job descriptions. And so ever since I've been on this journey to find people who are so much better than I am at things that I've got no business holding on to operations <laughs> and management. And it's refreshing to be able to say with, I mean, it, I, I've said this already, mm-hmm. but I, I have this visceral experience that humility and confidence grow in equal proportion. And I think now being, you know, a bit more than 10 years into this journey, I am more humble about the things that I can't do and that there are people who are so much better than I am at them. And I am more confident in a, in a very, I hope, appropriately bounded way about the things that I can do and can uniquely contribute. Um, and that to me feels like the, the power in then being able to build and delegate to a terrific team. It's so fantastic. And I think the thing that sticks out to me, Abby, is this complete absence of ego and power. And you've built such an equitable dynamic here. And to me, that's what leadership is all about. It's not about who's out front and this top-down model is the thing that has been crushing us. And I, and I just think about nonprofit specifically and the power dynamics that are in that. I mean, in the way that we are, have been rooted in our structures in the damn donor pyramid. So sorry, John, I said a bad word. Um, (laughs) But it's like this, this, this concept that everything needs to flow from the person who has the most power, the most wealth at the top. And we believe so much in absolutely flipping the pyramid and wondering what happens when you empower the base. And you have taken that and even elevated it beyond that to say, what if our leaders 
felt this way, lived this way, learned this way. And the absence of ego invites humility to come in and learning and listening. And I have to say, talk about imposter syndrome and FOMO. I mean, your academy speaker list has (laughs) about half of our ungettable get list (laughs) on it because these are the people in, in our minds who are shaping the good that we want to see in the world. They're baking in justice and equity and they come at it irreverently and humbly. And I mean, I I just commend you for keeping the conversation going. It's not just about frameworks. It's about sharing and democratizing what we learn. And I I have a very specific question because I'm looking at you and I'm hearing the story. You're in your childhood bedroom and you've built this incredible mission that I, that I just think has this ripple, compounding ripple effect. And I wonder what it means to you as a mom. You have these two little boys and I wonder how your work influences the world that you want to create for them. Well, first off, I'm convinced that they won't go to four-year college in the way that was expected of me. It will look wildly different. We need new pathways. And I think there are a lot of really creative, um, enterprising people charging hard at the question of how do we, you know, in a a system that only has 3% success rate right now, uh, (laughs) how do we disrupt it and how do we create new, new opportunities? So that excites me. You know, I'll say, I think this, the journey of, um, Building Global Citizen Year has been so humbling to me. It's been a huge learning process that that is ongoing and lifelong about my own power and privilege as a white woman in this society. And I think it's really, I'm, you know, I'm raising two white sons uh, in relative privilege, and I've had a really clear sense of orientation around how do I help them understand what all those identities mean and how to be humbled in contexts um, that might not be comfortable for them. And, And I'll just give one example, which is I decided when my first was a few weeks old, I came home from walking him around the neighborhood and and came in and I told my husband, I said, you know, I think I'm just going to speak Spanish to him from now on. Um, Spanish definitely not being my first language. Uh, and I flipped. And ever since we speak Spanish at home, I speak Spanish to my two boys and it was their first language. And I share this because for me, it felt like a way of helping them recognize that there's more than one way of saying things. It relates to there being more than one way to do things or to see the world. And we also had these early experiences that I think were really formative for them, where they spoke Spanish much better than English for many years as little kids. And they felt out of place on a playground in a you know an English-only context. And there was just a sense of an awareness of difference and an awareness of identity um, that I think learning other languages and having experiences outside of our home context and culture can can help awaken that awareness as well. So doing the best I can, humbly stumbling along uh, in, in the, the parenting role, but um, it also feels good to have them learn about my work and start to understand it um, and to see why it is so important to me and um, to watch them watching me lead is gratifying. 
I mean, you're just our hero. <laughs> Can we I just mean, say that? even just the way Abby talks is like a warm mom hug. It's so comforting. It's so calm. It's so inviting and uplifting. I, I wish I could hug you. I'm a hugger, so I, I'm a little. <laughs> I bit, I'm a couple thousand one. miles away. <laughs> I give you a big one. I mean, the humility also in your story and the way you show up comes through because I gotta say. Outside Magazine named y'all the number one place to work last year. That doesn't happen accidentally. You know, we talk about culture and all of the way that y'all show up different as leaders. And this even shows up in a huge gift. I don't want to connect the dots for Mackenzie Scott, but we just saw this before we hopped on that y'all were the recipient of one of the latest rounds of gifts. Yeah. But we know how she works in the kind of the background that they're doing due diligence to figure out what's it really like inside the walls of these places. So y'all, you know, your culture is leading the charge in so many ways. And you just, this conversation confirms everything that we thought, but even t- more so. So will you talk about that? What was it like to get that, that gift? We'd love to hear just a little bit of context. That phone of, call or that letter, however it was. Yeah. Well, I think anything like that, those two really um, exciting and uh, affirming recognitions, the Outside Magazine, this gift from Mackenzie Scott, um, are due to a lot of hard work from a lot of hard people over a long haul. And and I think on Outside Magazine in particular, I shared sort of that early early stages of the organization's growth before I had built out a senior team. Mm-hmm in full candor, we we had trouble retaining people. The culture was not collaborative. Um, It was not particularly equitable. Um, High turnover, high stress. And I just look back and when I think about having arrived a decade later at a place where we were being recognized as the top place to work in the country, I give so much credit to my teammates who helped nudge me into my appropriate role and took the reins and have led, have led us to this moment. Um, So it's just so obvious that that is a shared win. Um, And Mackenzie Scott recognizing especially at this moment of global turmoil, when we've not been able to run our signature fellowship for the last couple of years because we're living through a global pandemic. But she was able to see the possibility that there is a new path, there is a new type of leadership, there is an opportunity in this moment to not race back to normal, but instead to imagine what's possible and build something bold and new. Um, I just, our, our, our lives and the lives of all the students who will have the opportunity to join a global citizen here have been forever transformed by her vision, generosity, trust, and her humility. In many ways, she is exactly the kind of leader and kind of leadership we're trying to shine a spotlight on. I could not agree with you more. We are watching her so closely and we are rabid fans cheering mightily for how she has disrupted philanthropy, the way that she has gone about it, the tone that she is setting. Um, I, I just am so grateful when I hear any of these stories, because to me, that gives you such an innovative runway that you can run toward and, and dream big. And I, I love that she understands that. And Abby, I mean, we just feel like storytelling is the heartbeat of connection. And we're wondering about maybe a story of philanthropy that has changed you or impacted you in your life that you might share with us. Well, the Mackenzie experience is freshest and I'll, I'll just share, I mean, I'll, I'll pile on here, but I, yeah, I will never forget getting 
a phone call from someone on her team that said that Mackenzie and her husband, Dan Jewett, had decided to make a $12 million investment in Global Citizen Year. And I took the breath out of me. I, I could not believe what I was hearing. And the combination of rigorous diligence, which I knew had been done, and absolute trust, investing in a leadership team to know the answers without strings or constraints. It just feels like this is the philanthropy that will change the world. We look around and I think can be quite skeptical and cynical of the impact that philanthropy has had in addressing our most intractable social challenges. Most needles have not moved significantly. And in my view, what she's doing in leading by example is saying the only way to move those needles is to figure out what works and to give them the runway to make decisions proximate to the problems they're solving and to invest in leaders, frankly, in the same way that we do in the private sector, to recognize that good leaders need unrestricted capital and significant capital to try things, to experiment to make big bets. And we have constrained that possibility in our traditional ways of doing philanthropy. And I don't think it will be long until some of what she is modeling becomes normative and expected from others. I agree. And what a beautiful tribute to the way that she's going about this and, and shaking things up. And kudos to y'all, because I think you're shining a light that it's not this random moment in time, it's been so much work to get to that place, to find the yeah. right people, to, to be ready and to be good stewards of that money when it does arrive. So um, just here for that. Can't wait to see all the impact unfold. Abby, okay. This is paining me to ask. This is, you know, all of our conversations lead to getting to our one good thing. It's kind of one of our last things that we ask. What's a piece of advice? Maybe it's a mantra. It's something that you hold really close in your heart that you would leave with our community today. It's the sticky note on my computer. It says, if the path is clear, you're on someone else's. And it is my grounding every morning to remember that I don't know what steps to take. And it is messy in the midst. And it is hard and uncertain. And I can be racked with self-doubt. And I just have to remember, I have chosen to forge a path that is not clear. And that is the point. And I think if we could normalize that sense among young people, that the job here is to not follow someone else's path for you, but to forge your own, which by definition means it's messy and painful and hard, and you'll take steps forward and steps back, that I think that's the one message that I am most committed to sharing with the rising generation. I've never had a one good thing make me cry before. No, I was about to say that too. Okay, Abby. People need to come into your program. How can we help you? I mean, create a ripple in what you're already doing and get more people involved. Where can people find you? How can they sign up? Where are you on socials? So find us at globalcitizenyear.org. We're about to launch applications for the 22-23 school year for Global Citizen Year. Um, and you can find Global Citizen Year on all the socials um, and me as well. I'm at Abby Fallick on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Abby Fallick, you are just amazing. I wish there was a hundred more like you. I, we just send you off with a wing and a prayer, you know, that 
I hope what you're doing just gets replicated more and more and more because I just think this is the light and the hope that we're looking for in the world. And if we can just continue to chase it, then the world becomes more just, more full. And I just thank you so much for coming into our podcast and opening your heart and opening ours with your words. Mm. Thank you for such a meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. Such full hearts. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much that Auth0 login experience can do. Visit Auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.